Have you ever thought the GAPS protocol might be for you? Are you considering trying it or you've just heard about it and wonder how it fits into a healing journey? Are you struggling to bring grains into your diet without digestive issues or wondering what you can do to replenish a gut system damaged by antibiotics? This is the episode for you. We've had conversations with so many of you about GAPS, the gut and psychology syndrome diet created by Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. So it is time to share Allison's story. Allison, along with her husband, Rob, and their then almost two-year-old son, followed the GAPS protocol for over two years. In this episode, they open the door on that time and share their personal experience, why they embarked on GAPS, how they organized their kitchen, their practical routines, what they found challenging, what results they experienced, how they transitioned off of GAPS, and how their healing has moved on since then. With characteristic dry humor from Rob and witty repartee from Allison, and of course an appearance of the famous squash pancakes, I found this episode both entertaining and highly informative, and a strong message of hope and solidarity for everyone working to find healing. Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello and welcome back to Ancestral Kitchen Podcast. I don't get to say hello to Andrea today, maybe just virtually. Hello, Andrea. You're probably asleep somewhere because I have someone else um, on the podcast with me, which is my husband, Rob. Say hello, Rob. Hi. We've been on the podcast before together. If you haven't listened, go back to number 37. And we did an episode which was a peek into our ancestral lifestyles. Today, we are going to be talking about the GAPS diet instead together. But before we get to that, I would like to share a couple of reviews with you. Thank you ever so much to everyone who supports the podcast in whatever ways they can, including going on to Apple Um, if they listen on Apple, because not everyone does, and leaving five-star reviews, which we love to read. It feels a bit strange reading these out without Andrea. So, um, Rob, you're going to listen to them instead. That's that's fine. Okay, so the first one is from Kelsey M. Beck, and Kelsey titles the review, which is five stars, love, in capital letters. And then she writes, so inspiring and great practical tips. Thank you, ladies, for all that you do. Thank you, Kelsey, for listening. And thank you for that lovely review. I've got one more, which is a bit longer. Okay, just guess this on my computer here. And this one is from Philly Girl 22 And it's another five-star review. Thank you. And the title is A Fast Favourite That Will Keep You Coming Back For More. I can't say enough good things about this show. Where to begin? 
I've learned so much that I can turn around and put into practice in my own home and kitchen that same day. What a blessing. Andrea and Alison are so fun to listen to and it's amazing to hear them share the things that are working for them both even though they live in totally different parts of the world. My family has been blessed so much through what I've learnt from this show. 10 out of 10. Recommend! Exclamation mark. Thank you, Philly girl. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing to read. And I do think it's, it's just great that, you know, Andrew and I are completely other sides of the world. And yet we connect on so many things, like we connect with everyone who's listening, you know. Um, there's something in us that has the same values, has the same beliefs and does the same thing every day. So thank you ever so much. There are um, instructions on how to leave a review if you do listen on Apple in the show notes. So if you feel like you want to do that for us, we would love it. Thank you. And go and check out the instructions in the show notes. So back to where we are. Um, so usually I ask Andrea what she last ate. Instead, I'm going to ask Rob, what did you last eat, Rob? Well, it's a bit different this time, isn't it? Because you watched me eat it and then actually prepared it for it. me. <laughs> yeah. So you know as well as I do that I had salad with um, lettuce from probably Vicas down the road, I hope, a local food co-op, um, and with various little salad herbs from downstairs that Alison grew mm -hmm. and a nice dressing that honestly I don't know what was in it. Mm. Um, it always tastes nicer Secret. when somebody else does it. That's just my <laughs> observation on that. And then, yeah, there was some liver cooked in a cast iron pan from, again, from our local farmer. And then there was also some rye sourdough bread, which is really lovely that I have probably most days, I would say. And what did you have in your bread? Um, one of the, there was some butter that is not local. Um, that's from a local chain of stores that <clears throat> I guess if you're American, it's a bit like Whole Foods that like, you know, they do sort of really mm -hmm. good, um, organic produce. It's called Natura Si, mm -hmm. Nature Yes. And, um, yeah, they, they do probably the best butter you can get your hands on around here mm. that this is affordable anyway. I, I'll put that in quotes behind it. And then there was some home rendered lard on the mm -hmm. other slice of bread that was really nice too. So as I have you in the hot seat, Andrew has never tasted my rice sourdough because I've not been lucky enough to have her here in my home. But you basically are the instigator many, many years ago of me making rice sourdough and you are the one that eats the majority of my rice sourdough. And listeners have heard many things about my rice sourdough. So from the horse's mouth, tell us what you think about my rice sourdough. You're calling me a horse now? <laughs> Okay, I'll try and plug your course for you a little bit. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's, I, okay, so first things to know about me and rye is that when I was really young, um, it was my favourite bread. So we always used to, we used to get bread from an actual local baker's shop before the supermarkets came and it shut down. And they used to make freshly made rye bread. I will add, not sourdough rye bread. It was just regular rye bread and probably had a load of wheat mixed in. But even then, I really loved I actually loved the flavour of it and I was it was always a little bit more expensive and I was always trying to persuade my parents to get it for us. Many, many years later, um, sort of having done, um, well, we're going to talk about the 
GAPS diet, having done quite a few kind of, in quotes, recovery diets mm. and improved the state of my digestion from, I, just, I couldn't eat wheat bread, basically. Now I can eat wheat occasionally. And especially if it's been handled with care and grown with care and that kind of thing, it's, I'm usually okay with it. But probably if I had it every day, I wouldn't mm. be in too good a state. Mm. So the the rye bread is it's a very good way of having bread which just gives you carbohydrate in a nice slow release condensed form it just it, it really fills a gap you know i'm not a keto guy um we'll, we'll probably talk about that later as well mm. um but it it really helps from a health point of view to be able to eat bread and also it tastes really good there's a thing about rye and sourdough in particular i think that rye has a really, really deep, strong flavour. Mm. And if you add the kind of tangy, acidic sort of mm. sourdough overtone on that, it balances really nicely. Whereas I think when a lot of the time when you do it to other grains, it kind of just dominates. You know, the, the sourdough flavour will just be everything. And that, that's all you can do. Whereas taste. the rye's got its own nice. corner. Yeah, that's nice. But the rye, the rye mm. does not give in in any sense to that flavor yeah. um which makes it really nice and it yeah like i say it actually goes down really well as someone who's i mean i i used to be i i'm guessing like intolerant almost to the point of being a, a celiac i mean if i went into a cafe where they had clouds of flour going around because they were making some produce in there then i would be ill as a result of that literally um whereas and, you know, I was very, very sensitive, whereas now I'm not sensitive like that. But as I say, I can't eat wheat regularly, but I can eat gluten grains as long as they're treated nicely. And you can eat my rice. And this, yeah, this rice sourdough bread is just, it's an everyday thing for me. I could eat it every day, once a day, certainly. Yeah, excellent. I had the same. I actually had some rye bread today because we ran out of spelt. Um, <clears throat> I had lard on mine and I shared the salad with Rob which yeah, had a secret dressing in it with lots of greens from the garden. And the liver was pig's liver, which we just simply pan fried for about three minutes each side in lard in the cast iron pan. Um, so really simple, um, but, but very, very tasty. I just want to add, actually, you may have just heard me taking a sip of rye kvass hmm. there, which is a fermented drink made out of rye bread. And that's really nice too. And it's funny because I had a go at making it recently and it really wasn't very nice and we had to give up on it and just throw it all away and not bother. And then I had another go at making it actually to another recipe and that also didn't come out very nice. And then Alison had a go to the original recipe and I'm drinking it now and it's, it's lovely. It's fine. So. The magic um, fingers. Well, yeah, it just means you have to do it though, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, Which unfortunately. Add it to the list. Necessarily Add so it to good. the list. Are you looking for a powerful source of nutrients to enhance your overall health and well-being? Look no further than beef organ capsules from One Earth Health, where the cattle graze on lush New Zealand pastures. The beef organs are sourced from 100% pasture-raised cattle, ensuring that you receive the highest quality and most nutrient-dense organ meat available. Beef organs are some of the most nutrient-dense foods on earth with high levels of vitamins A, K, and the B complex. Customers report more energy, improved skin health, and a strengthened immune system thanks to the powerful nutrients found in these organs. For a limited time, One Earth Health is offering 
our Ancestral Kitchen podcast listeners a 5% discount on all orders and free shipping. We checked and we saw even before any discounts, they were more affordable than other New Zealand-based organ supplements with all the pristine nutritive value we wanted in place. Take advantage of their amazing price and the extra discount and the free shipping. Order now and enjoy the incredible health benefits of One Earth Health's beef organs made with care and quality in New Zealand. Visit oneearthhealth.com slash ancestral kitchen and I'll put the link in the show notes. Okay, so let's move on. We are doing this episode today about the GAPS diet. GAPS stands for gut and psychology syndrome diet, basically for two reasons. Firstly, because people have asked for it. Lots of people have contacted me via email or via Instagram asking about my experience with GAPS and for an episode on GAPS um, because I think I've kind of dropped into various podcasts that as a family we were on the GAPS diet for several years. So if you don't know what GAPS is, it's a healing diet which was devised by Natasha Campbell McBride And that healing diet is a modern elaboration of the specific carbohydrate diet. Now, Rob, you, before GAPS was devised, you actually found out about the specific carbohydrate diet and did it quite some time ago. Could you just give us a a minute or so on explaining what it is and where it comes from? Um, Okay, so it was created by a guy called Dr. Sidney Valentine Haas in... um, 19 it says here 1924 dr haas you see i'm reading his obituary from the new york times he died in 1964 and it says dr haas in 1924 reported to the scientific world his probably most important contribution to pediatrics the banana diet in the treatment of celiac disease in which the small child cannot tolerate most of the starchy foods that are vital to him Before the curative effects of the banana diet were reported by Dr. Haas, one of four celiac patients died. And I mean, it really was up until the 1950s. He he produced a book which you can find for free online. It's quite heavy reading, but um, called The Management of Celiac Disease. And it really was just the sort of Western medical profession's go-to treatment. Celiac disease. Gosh, literally. what's happened since then? And and now, if yeah, I mean, if you do take the time to Google um, Natasha Campbell McBride or Sally Fallon, you'll you'll see that you know a slightly yeah. different point of view. But the the reality is, you know, the the medical profession were well behind this, and there, there's all sorts of reasons behind this that we're not going to go into, basically. But I I just I kind of wanted to put it into context. So so me in the early two thousands having problems with wheat intolerance and and really not just wheat i mean i just i reached a point where i just couldn't really eat anything anything i ate seemed to make me ill and so i was just i was looking for there's got to be some way around this like i'm 20 something you know what's wrong with me i I don't need to be on anti-inflammatory steroids the rest of Mm -hmm. my life kind of mentality and the internet wasn't what it is now back then but i was able to do sort of research in libraries and i did eventually come across this management of celiac disease and i did actually find a website as well made by one of his patients and eventually another book breaking the vicious cycle which is really probably quite an important work on that and i think 
Natasha Campbell's McBride does reference that book quite a few times in terms of I think it, it did quite a good job of trying to pose sort of scientific explanations for what's going on and why mm-hmm. this diet works in terms of how gaps differs from mm-hmm. the specific high carbohydrate diet i think there's a lot of natasha's um kind of heritage in there so there's kind of there's the fermented foods yeah mean? for fermented foods yeah. and things like that and it's just well there's traditional healing diets that are pretty similar to this kind yeah. of thing um and i think also it's just it's i mean it's gut and psychology yeah it's from her practice so yeah it's from her practice and she spent a lot of time applying this to kids with autism Mm. um which i mean it was originally a curative diet for babies with celiac disease yeah but it turns out that a lot of the same things work and you can refine that but um it's, it's quite an amazing piece of insight really yeah completely thank you thank you yeah, so Natasha Campbell McBride really took her um, practice and her ancestry and updated it for the modern world, I think. Um, and, you know, when I've talked to people about GAPS, it, I find the title quite hard because it is gut and psychology syndrome, but it applies to so many other things than psychological problems. And to try and introduce it to someone who's not heard of it and say this might help with your IBS, this might help with your, you know, your bowel problems. Sometimes I think the name is a bit of a put-off because they're like, well, I, I don't have any psychological problems. Um, <laughs> they do. It's <laughs> so much wider. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Psychologist. We all do. So, um, <laughs> no, I don't have any. <laughs> so, the GAPS diet, you can just search for it online. So I'm not going to really talk about the specifics of it, other than to say it restricts processed food, it restricts complex carbs, so there's no grains and no potatoes. It adds in fermented foods, including fermented dairy, and it restricts those foods because it works on healing the gut. <clears throat> do you want to talk about the villi, Rob, or do you think that's um, a bit too... Well, I don't know. I think, really, if you're interested in the scientific explanation, it's a it's a proposed scientific explanation, right? So I, I yeah. don't know that there's that much experimental evidence that this is actually what's going on. But um, it's in the, the book Breaking the Vicious Cycle by Elaine Gottschall, and probably we should put that in the show notes or something. Yeah, okay. And it is... And, and I think Natasha Campbell McBride... She does talk it about it in the yellow book. Well. Yeah. And it's... I think there's probably quite a lot of truth in it, honestly. And... It talks about damage to the villi in your stomach. And I mean, one of the tests by the medical profession for celiac disease is actually sticking a camera in there and Mm. having a look and seeing whether those villi are damaged. So, Mm. I mean, certain aspects of it probably are just 100% verifiable. Mm. And it it certainly makes a lot of sense from my point of view experientially, but perhaps we don't need to talk about it right now. No, I think we want to talk about practicalities, really, because people want to know about how we experienced it. So... I'll be referring through the podcast to intro and the full diet. So intro is the first part of the GAPS diet and it's broken down into six phases that go from basically at the beginning, just stock, well-cooked stews, a bit of probiotic veg and some honey and some fat. And then they go in stages, bringing in other foods, bringing in eggs, bringing in ghee, bringing in roasted meat, bringing in cooked fruit, bringing in raw fruit until you get to the full 
Gaps diet, which includes things like legumes and coconut flowers. We started Gaps in late 2015 and we were on the Gaps um, protocol for two years. A lot of that time we spent in intro. So whereas some people will go through intro very quickly, doing one day on each of the six phases, we literally spent weeks on each of those stages and we repeated intro at least once. I think we might have actually done it three times. And the reason we did that is because, we'll go into in a second, whenever we came off intro, Gable started having problems again. Gable is our son, who is nine now, who at that phase in his life was two, one and a half, two. Yeah. And um, whenever we came off intro, he started having digestive problems again. So we just went back to intro and did it again. So we really spent most of our time, it feels like, in the introduction diet in some way, shape or form. So before we get into kind of how we organised our kitchen, what I want to talk about is why we decided to do the gut and psychology syndrome. Because I think a lot of people know about it, learn about it, see what's involved, are daunted. It might just be for them, not the rest of their family and the work involved. And to give a picture of where we were at and why we decided to move forward with it, I think will be helpful. So, firstly, really the reason why we decided to do GAPS was because of Gabriel, who at that stage was like one and a half. Um, He, at about, I think just before he was one and a half, um, he... He got ill and couldn't keep down food and then couldn't keep down water. And first of all, we thought he had a bug. Then we ended up in hospital basically with him and they didn't know what was wrong. They did a scan of him and found a blockage in his bowel. We then went via ambulance to a hospital in London, which if anyone's been in an ambulance, I... I feel for you because it was absolutely terrifying with our it son. It felt like being inside of a very noisy missile, yeah. basically. Oh. Unbelievably fast and noisy. Yeah. It I was remember we just scary. sang songs with him the whole way to try and keep him calm. Like, calm. Some sense we of just, calm. Like we're going to sing together, you know, just yeah. over and over again. So we, we were rushed up to St. Thomas's Hospital in London and then <clears throat> went through the process of them trying to find out what was wrong with him. And that was pretty horrific, um, putting things in him that we never had put in him for a year and a half. Um, And they eventually... well, they just operated. Well, they? yeah, basically, they, he, they were like, we he, don't know. They what didn't to know do, what so they didn't know what was wrong. And find out they didn't wrong. know what was wrong, and he That's started. We were up by his bed, and he started. His temperature was going up, and his vital signs were going down. And I went to the nurse on the desk and said, "Look." can you please call the doctor? Our son is getting worse and I want, you know, him to come and look at him. And then that was in the middle of the night. So they came and looked at him again. They said, yeah, what Rob just said. I, we don't know what's wrong with him. We're just going to have to take him down and open him up. So they called somebody out at 3 a.m. Yeah, to do an yeah, operation. Yeah, to do an operation. So they took Gable into the operating theatre and long story short, he had what's called a mechal diverticulum which is part of the placenta left inside the body of the baby, which usually just 
and kind of flaps around and does nothing. But his had wrapped itself around his bowel. Yeah, I mean, apparently about 6% of people have one of these flapping around. Yeah. And then about 6% of those, it gets tangled with something. Yeah. So just, it just stopped his bow. It just yeah. basically like a little bit of string. It yeah. tied itself around In his bow. Knot. Anyway, so um, they cut that. They cut out 20 centimetres of his bowel and sewed him back together and gave him incredible amount of drugs. Um, and then... Saved his life. Saved his life, yeah. Incredibly that. saved his life. Yeah. I mean, we were, I was unsure whether he was going to make it. And then after he looked like, after four or five days, after he looked like he was able to keep food down, they basically just packed us off. And the doctor, the surgeon said, oh, you could give him a bit of yogurt. Um, and so Rob and I, both having been on healing journeys, thought, okay, this is something for us to really work I think with. that comment about the yoghurt probably sums up my level of expertise as a surgeon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's yeah. like the flip side of that. But the, he, you know, this guy knew how to save our son's life. But yeah. literally his understanding of diet and nutrition in that circumstance was, oh, you could give him some yoghurt. Yeah. So uh, Gabriel basically had incontinence problems. He had diarrhea and constipation and both of those are kind of flip sides of each other so you know if you get constipated you're much more likely to swing to diarrhea and having diarrhea can be a sign of constipation so he was unable to um maintain a normal bowel so he wouldn't realize that he was um passing something and it would be often very very kind of runny so really we turned to gaps for him. We wanted to heal his, um, his digestion. For you, Rob, you thought, because we'd been through, I mean, the early year and a half of Gabriel's birth was, was tumultuous yeah. with a capital T, and you were coming out of an extremely stressful period, and I think you'd remembered that you'd done that specific carbohydrate well, Yeah, diet. I was on it for three months mm. originally, and <clears throat> I found coming off of it, that I could eat most of the things that I hadn't been able to eat before, um, with the exception of wheat, really, and probably pasteurized dairy as well I struggled with, unless it was seriously fermented or made into mm -hmm. hard cheese or something in small quantities. It was just, you know, apart from the things that had given me really serious problems, suddenly I could eat again. It was absolutely amazing. Um, and I do, I remembered that and I did, I kind of had the feel because I'd been through a really stressful time. I'd sort of, I'd been working like most of the night for months on end basically, and then getting up in the morning and what would happen would be, I'd kind of have a snack before I started work. And I think the amount of complex carb that was going through my system mm. had kind of re-triggered those problems that I'd had before specific carbohydrate diet. And they do say you can do it once and it will heal you, but if you have to do it again, <laughs> you know so th this was my second chance i was like god okay let's hope this works again because i've really messed myself up this time mm. but um yeah so we'll we thought it would later. be yeah, beneficial for you be for me <clears throat> i'd been through a, a battle with breastfeeding gabriel and then going on to the western price formula and having <laughs> having been basically threatened with child protection for feeding our son raw milk and it just was an extremely stressful time for me. And I'd left Italy. We were back in England living with your mum, which was not ideal. 
So I was not sleeping. I'd had tons of feeding issues. I don't think it was issues. ideal for her either, to be fair. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have us land on her. Um, I was really stressed. And obviously, I realised I had legacy issues with my gut biome from being overweight for my entire childhood and taking round after round after round of antibiotics. So I felt like gaps would do me some good. I did want to point out at this point that we hadn't had gluten for a very long time at that point. So we actually went into gaps having been gluten free. Well, since going raw vegan, probably, which was what three or four years before yeah, that. Yeah, because after that we went back on complex carbohydrate, but only sort of lighter yeah. grains like kind the of millet quinoa, and the millet, quinoa, sweet potatoes, yeah. things like that. Yeah. So we'd already we were already gluten free and had been gluten free for years before we looked at gaps. I think I actually I think I had rye bread sometimes, not oh, regularly, you? but Don't I did. Like I'd have the because they did quite nice stuff in the shops, and I've always got on well with it. Okay. Not sourdough though, and not regularly either. I couldn't eat it often, is what I remember. I was making bread out of buckwheat, wasn't I? I remember we were eating that virtually every day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't think that did me much good no, actually, no. to tell the truth. Yeah. So. That, that's the situation that we went into gaps with. I wanted to talk a bit about the practicalities, which maybe you can just kind of reflect things to me that I yeah, miss sure. here, Rob, because Rob has a better memory than me. So um, I try and remember, and then he corrects Not me. necessarily for this sort of thing, but I'll try. So we were living in Penzance on the coast of southwest England at the time, and we went shopping once a week at a local market. We used to walk along the seafront to get there, basically, and we bought what they had. So there were two farmers there who gave us meat. One specialised in chicken and the other one had um, ruminants. We got bones and fat from them as well. So we'd get meat, we'd get chicken carcasses and um, beef bones and pig bones from them. And we got lots of fat um, that we could render from there. We lived in a fishing port. So we got fish from one of the fishmongers that was down on the front. Um, and that's the kind of the goods we worked with. With vegetables, we just bought what the farmers had at the farmer's market. So very often in England, you know, the winter vegetables go on forever. Winter's, turnips. Winter's 10 turnips. months of the year More in England. Turnips, turnips, <laughs> turnips swede, turnips, Onion. swede, beetroot, <laughs> onions. There's no distinction between turnips and swede in Cornwall. No, I never understood why that is. the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't get that. Um, and the kitchen had two slow cookers. So we had one very big one which I think was like nine litres, nine quarters. It was massive, wasn't it? Yeah. Absolutely enormous. And one thing. smaller one that was six. And basically those were out on the surface all the time. One of them was used for stock and stews, and one of them was um, rendering fat. So basically I was kind of dancing between them. So we basically always had a stock on the go or a stew in the go, and most often the stew was in that big, big slow cooker. And the stew would be based on the stock that I'd made, but also with some meat in there and then vegetables. And I mean, th I think this is important to the practicalities of gaps in the sense that I don't know how anyone would do it without cooking in bulk no, like that. Just I just, I mean, doing it fresh is nigh on impossible. I would have thought you've got to cook it in a massive vat mm. and then stick it like nine tenths of it in your fridge and then slop it out for each meal while you get so on romantic. with doing <laughs> while you get on with doing all the other things you need there to are, do. You there know? are nice recipes um, for gaps. And if you go and look at Hilary Boynton, yeah. who's I think at this podcast at this point been on the yeah, podcast. You certainly don't once, want for flavour. Again soon. Yeah. Um there are some lovely recipes, 
But practically, in order to get on with your life, you have to cook in bulk. And yeah, and I mean, we do, we need to note that when we talk about its impact on Alison's health in particular, Mm. because it's, um, it has consequences. Yeah. like that. Doing gaps is where I learned to render fat. So, I mean, we render fat all the time here now, but I learned to render ghee. I learned to render lard. I learned to render tallow. That's where I taught myself how to do that. I would basically make one big stew and it would last us four to five days. So we then, when it cooled down, we put it in the fridge and we would just... Slop it out, as Rob says. (laughs) Heat it up and put it gently into a plate. Um, So our staple dishes were stews, a lot of beef, some chicken, um, a lot of the parts that other people didn't want. So the the cuts that are less popular, the ones that you need to cook long and slow. I remember we had mutton as well. We ate a lot of squash, a lot of of butternut squash and other squash and we ate a lot of swede and in particular we might talk about this a bit later but I kind of I I got not addicted to the swede but I came to rely upon the swede because I felt that it was the part of the diet that gave me the most energy so I would grate swedes which are called, oh, I have to say, they're called rutabaga in a, in a rutabaga oh, really? in America. Is that what yeah. that is? And no yeah. one knows I've what. I've seen that word That's before. why, they, when oh, they yeah. said turnips and sweet are the same thing in Cornwall, most of the people mm. listening are going, Don't what? know what turnips are or sweets, because <laughs> yeah. they don't use the same word. So Apologies. a sweet is a, ru- is a rutabaga. rutabaga. We're so, we're so arrogant, us English. We you say rutabaga, I say rutabaga. Swedes are rutabaga. I used to grate them, and then I used to put the cast iron pan on and put ghee in it and put all this grated swede in, like a mound of grated swede. And then slowly it would work itself down as it was being cooked and the, you know, the moisture evaporated. And then I used to eat that all the time with maybe some spices and things on. I also remember adding garlic to dishes just before serving. So those stews, I would, heat, I would chop some garlic or crush some garlic into them at the last minute. I remember reading about that in um, Natasha's book. Um, I did use Hillary's book quite a lot, which we will have to put in the show notes. Um, and I wanted to talk about our favourite dishes, which at the time were the squash pancakes, which yeah. are kind of infamous. Andrew and I they're, have talked about a, them before. Funnily enough, I mean, I did them on the um, specific carbohydrate diet like 20 years earlier, and they're, they're so simple to make that even I can't mess them up. So <laughs> I, I you can't fond, get them as big as yeah, me. Yeah, I have fond you? memories of doing them the first time round. It's like, oh, squash pancakes are back. Fantastic. I remember getting the blender out and literally putting <clears> so <throat> many eggs in there and so much squash and then having the cast iron pan on for like hours, just mm. fly, frying squash pancakes. Yeah, so sad. They were Gabriel's favourite, yeah. weren't they? And we, we found out. That you can't eat eggs. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we used to love those. The other thing that I remember we used to enjoy was called a meatza, M-E-A-T-Z-A, which is basically a pizza with a base made of ground beef. Then you put the toppings on it. So you'd think it wouldn't work because oh, ground beef's ground and how is that going to make my pizza base? But it does. If you look that up as a recipe, I think maybe I got it from Joe Whitten on Quirky Cooking, actually. You put the um, ground beef as a base and it does stick together. And then you can put your you know, tomato sauce on, avocado, whatever you want to put on the top of it. And I remember for our wedding anniversary that year, I made a meat for the first time. And we like that. 
Um, have I forgotten anything about the kitchen and how we organised it? If you have, so have I. Yeah, okay. It was a lot of work. And I think people who contact me say, you know, I'm daunted by the amount of work. And I would say, yeah, I mean, you don't go into it lightly. You can go on to full gaps, which is less work, substantially less work than the introduction, because you can eat so many more things. But that wasn't working for us because every time we came off the intro, Gabriel started getting yeah, sick again. Exactly. So it is something that is difficult to do if you don't have time to spend into the in the kitchen. Is difficult to do if you don't have large pans, and is difficult to do if you don't have people on board. Um, you know, the fact that we did it, the three of us together, and we all focused our energy on it made a huge difference you know literally yeah, Gabriel was too young to know any different wasn't he yeah. that's the so point it didn't, so yeah, it, it didn't did, matter to it him that he was eating all this stuff that respect. um I mean if when we went to the farmer's market to pick up all these vegetables I couldn't carry them I mean we were walking like you know a mile there yeah. and we oh, had yeah, all I'll these tell you what, I struggled to carry them on gaps eggs so and like... bones and I couldn't have carried them back yeah I mean the thing is it, it's uh, it's not it doesn't restrict all carbohydrate from food so it's not like a keto diet but the thing is the sources of of carbohydrate that you have are not concentrated in the way that they would be from bread for example and so what happens and they're certainly not they're not slow release in the same way either mm -hmm. so you That's kind problem, of I yeah i mean you end up just it felt like a very low carbohydrate diet to me mm -hmm. i've tried low carb diets and and this one this one felt not quite as bad, but really was a lot mm. like that. How do you feel about our food world? Do you want to see change like we do? If so, head over to patreon.com forward slash ancestral kitchen podcast and help support us to get this work out as far and wide as we can. To say thank you, we've got a host of extra ancestral food material to share with you. You can connect with us more deeply via our Patreon-exclusive podcasts, our after-show chats, our dedicated forum and our ancestral food get-togethers. And there's a library of downloads that will support you in your own kitchen. By joining, you'll be really helping us to continue making this podcast and to focus on having a bigger impact, reaching more people, making a greater difference so we can move together towards the future food world we all want to see. We've got four levels of support to suit different pockets. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Ancestral Kitchen Podcast for all the details. Let's talk about what happened and while we were on gaps. I want to start with Gabriel because, you know, he's the reason we went on gaps. And as we've alluded... He, he always did okay on intro, really, didn't he? Yeah. You know, the well, the further back fine. we were yeah. in the diet, the better bog, he bog was. standard intro, he was just like normal bowel movements, just really We were absolutely and, astounded. Yeah. I mean, because we'd had... Instantly. Since he'd had that operation and been delivered back to us in August after his, you know, his second year, he was born in April, so he was nearly one and a half when he had that operation because it was August the following year. Up until the point we did gaps, he just he hadn't had a normal elimination. And suddenly, when we went on to intro, bang, it was, was normal. It. And we were like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. But when we started to come off intro, he just progressively got worse. And it wouldn't happen immediately, no. It wasn't like a, 
oh, he'd eat this and he'd come out in hives, you know. It was, he'd eat something. Gradually. And then slowly it, yeah, things would, would deteriorate. Yeah. And, and that's why we Over went through intro week, maybe, so yeah. much. That's why we kept going yeah. back to try and figure out what was going on. Because we knew he was safe yeah, I mean, in we that didn't, first zone. And we didn't know whether he needed sort of more healing time mm. or mm. whether there were specific things that he was intolerant to. And the reality, I mean, one of the things that's so good about GAPS is that it's got these levels of different diet sort of you know level one level two level three where you start reintroducing things and that was really powerful partly because the things on the higher levels are harder to digest and so you're more likely to have problems with them but also because you slowly reintroduce them and so what happens then is you start to understand what you're intolerant to and what you're not and I mean, it took even so even with that, required. it took a very long time for yeah. us to figure out that he was intolerant to eggs and potatoes in particular. Yeah. Just because if it takes a week or two of eating it sort of fairly consistently for the intolerance to have the effect that it starts messing up his bowel movements. We didn't learn about the potatoes till after gaps. Yeah. Because was potatoes really? are in gaps. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we that, learned about, that was, that I remember when we learned about potatoes, we took him out yeah. somewhere and he had some chips. And that, oh God, yeah, I remember now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So eventually yeah. it taught us that he was intolerant to eggs. But it took a long time, didn't it? Because you introduce the different stages of the eggs at different times in gaps. You can have the yolk yeah. at a different time. Well, we you can have the white. We introduced eggs about three or four times, yeah. didn't we? And, and just finally, we're like, oh, my God, this is the problem. Yeah, you know? it's eggs. It's eggs. Um, and beans. I mean, we tried yeah. to introduce beans several times when we were on full gaps. And slowly, Gradually, his digestion would just get worse week, and worse. two weeks, and, worse. and it'd, it'd get worse. And actually, probably the same is true for the two of us in reality. Mm. Yeah, it is. But... Through all of that, you know, I say that, you know, we found out that he was allergic to eggs. Eventually, we realized that he couldn't digest beans eventually. And he healed in a way that he would never have done if we'd continued on a, a standard ancestral diet, if there is such a thing. Well, I think, I mean, like I said, GAPS has value as a um an elimination diet in the sense that you really do work on finding out what you're tolerant to and what you're not and if anything really i wish i wish i'd understood that more back at the at the time and paid really paid yeah, attention to yeah. it in those terms because i think then maybe we'd have figured out his egg intolerance sooner yeah maybe we would have figured out the bean, beans sooner and we'd have been able to more focus on it being a healing diet i.e giving his tummy time to just not eat the things that yeah. might cause it issues yeah and so yeah, you, undoubtedly we could have done it better um but it it helped a lot i mean so what about you what happened to you while you were on gaps um well the first thing i noticed was a feeling as if if you can imagine in fact basically it was the same thing i had the first time i went on specific carbohydrate if you, if you can imagine your stomach has, is being gnawed at by a bunch of little insects and then suddenly they stop <laughs> if you can imagine how that might feel that was essentially what i was feeling it, it felt mm. like there was a almost an open wound that was finally getting the chance to heal it kind of tingled like that it was an amazing mm. feeling and it's like i say it's it's probably the third time in my life i've had that because once i went on a very long fast and i had the same feeling then long after i did that yeah. but i mean the cool thing about gaps as opposed to fasting is that you can do gaps for two years you know yeah. you can fast for a few weeks if you're lucky you know and um so it was pretty amazing like that and that lasted really 
for a good couple of weeks, I think, mm -hmm. as my stomach slowly kind of healed and recuperated from what I put it through. Mm. And then, I mean, after that, the next thing I noticed was fairly quickly, also probably within those couple of weeks, I just, I lost a kind of a kick of energy. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I certainly at the time, I was quite an excited long distance runner. And, you know, before I went on gaps, if I decided that I wanted a sprint, it would be an awful lot faster than my running mm. speed. By the time I've been on gaps for a few weeks, really my walking speed, my running speed and my sprinting speed were all reasonably similar, it felt like to me, because I just, I didn't have any kind of kick of energy. It was a, just, and I think, I mean, it's partly, I know if it, I, I was not one of those runners who was just there snacking sugar bars, you know, to keep myself going. I really wasn't. I'd go without eating for like hours and run for hours. I think it was more a case of long term, like over days and days, there was not much carbohydrate in that diet. And it was beginning to have a serious effect on my metabolism. And it, mm. it, wasn't, it wasn't a nice way to live for two years. I have what to happened say. to your weight? My weight went down. I mean, I, like, I lost a fair bit of weight. I was really quite skinny. Mm. Um, like pe people were obviously commenting. I mean, pe mm. people comment about my weight anyway. Do you know what I mean? And th then like the number of... Because you're quite thin. Because I'm quite thin generally. Mm. Because and any fat that comes along, I tend to work it off. And not much fat comes along, honestly, on a Western price diet. So, mm. Oh, but, a lot of fat does, but it's good yeah, fat not, and it gets used. Yeah, as in it doesn't sort of... Um, end up being turned into fat and stored on yeah, your body but yeah. the, the thing is yeah it really I, I lost really quite a lot of weight and I was very skinny for two years and I think I mean if I hadn't had the motivation of doing this for Gabriel I'd, I'd have quit within a few months I think like really you think so well I, think, I thought you were more gung-ho than that well you know part of part of the problem was we didn't really know much about Western Price then I mean hard to believe it but Alison hadn't really made sourdough bread at that point so i did because I, we weren't eating gluten i'd made yeah, buckwheat exactly. which was naturally fermented by whatever was in the air yeah and i was making that every you know a couple of days for us but i hadn't used a sourdough starter because because we hadn't really gone into anything yeah. any grain with gluten mm. you know? I, th I think that's the point i mean i didn't feel like i had much in the way of alternative if i came off gaps i, I didn't feel like there was much i could eat you know I, I wasn't very excited to go back onto the diet I was on before even though by most people's standards probably it was a reasonably healthy one if I timed it right and wasn't working all night mm. I just I didn't want to go back onto another diet because I'd been quite ill on it and I felt it felt like such a relief so yeah. there was an element of that it did feel like a bit of a mission though it um, was a mission and it, <laughs> it was for Gabriel really I yeah. mean that, that's why we did it um for me the the thing I want to praise, see what happened to me on Gaps with, is the fact that I don't eat sweet things. Um, that's changing a bit now. But back then, we had pretty much established that whenever I ate anything sweet, I would get vertigo when I got to my menstrual cycle. And that vertigo was debilitating. I'd been through a period like about, I think maybe almost a decade before that, just before I met Rob, where um, I had a problem with my inner ear and those vertigo episodes just basically extended themselves through, throughout the month. And I was struggling with dizziness, orientation. It was just horrible, horrible. And it took a lot of getting to the bottom of things to understand that when I didn't eat anything sweet, including fruit, I didn't 
get vertigo. Well, you on went on an anti-candidate diet, didn't yeah. you, which doesn't have any sugar in it. And, and you're, oh, hang on a minute, something's changed yeah, here. It had several awful negative consequences, yeah. but one of the positive ones was that. Yeah, so that was 2009 that that, that happened. Um, so going into gaps, okay, so there's no fruit on intro, but once on the intro stage one, once you start going through intro, you get to eat cooked fruit and then raw fruit. And that's where you can get quite a lot of carbohydrate from. And, and, and I wasn't able to eat those. I wasn't, it's not that I wasn't able, I didn't want to, because I didn't want to experience that vertigo, which would leave me lying in bed for like two days, every cycle, and near the whole room spinning. And so it was hard for me to, um, you know, I couldn't have the honey like you can have on gaps and I couldn't have the fruit. So the thing about eating the Swede or the rutabaga um, was that it seemed to me the only thing that would give me energy. So I kind of lost, I lost my energy. I found it difficult to do things that I could do before. Um, I lost a lot of weight. The thing that was the most negative side effect for me was that my sleeping absolutely went out the window. And I have a kind of an Achilles heel in sleeping. I've always had a problem with it since I was very young. And my sleeping was just appalling on gaps. Um, I, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't get to sleep, I'd wake up in the night. Um, and I think that's obviously, that was linked, looking back to it, it was linked to a stress response and a cortisol spike in the night. And it was also linked to histamine because um, when you keep meat and stock in the fridge and serve it two, three, four, five days later, and when you consume some fermented foods there are amines in them histamines and you can have a histamine reaction and people think histamine is all to do with you know hives and allergies but histamine can stop you sleeping and so I think that had an impact on me um I was talking to Rob I was talking to you Rob wasn't I just when we were planning this episode trying to just go through and make some notes and at this point when we talked about this but you said to me any other person would have stopped <laughs> but yeah. I'm not any other person yeah yeah I mean with hindsight we should have like we should have stopped you very early on and just mm. carried on with me and Gabriel and then stopped me and carried but on I I didn't want to stop because I knew that as a kid I'd been overweight mm, yeah. and the the havoc that that has had on my yeah. biome we know that from other yeah. symptoms and things that have happened and the fact that I had literally tens and tens and tens of rounds of antibiotics yeah. as a kid you know I'd I'd have antibiotics six, seven times a year, every year, year after year. That I just thought I, you know, I was desperate, and I feel like not not desperate, but I saw gaps, and I thought this is my answer. This is how I'm going to heal myself. And I think a lot of people see that about gaps and think, on one hand, this is my answer. This is what's going to help me. Yeah. And then they look at what's involved or they look at the fact that it, they can't do it with their family or they find, you know, there's some other reasons why they can't do it, well, which yeah, are all valid. Some of the and si side effects, you and know, the there side are effects. side effects. And then they weigh those two things up and they just feel, oh, I can't, I can't do this. Um, and I think I felt like I've, I've always had an all or nothing personality. And if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to the nth degree. And, I just felt like I would be giving up, you know, if I if I stopped and this was my chance to heal. And if you and Gable were continuing, and my memory is that you were not as 
jump ship, as you just said, but maybe I just didn't Well, no, hear I, I mean, I maybe wasn't I at the that. time. I, yeah. I carried on because I couldn't see any alternative. And But like with hindsight, I think I, I should have stopped and certainly you mm. should have stopped much sooner. I think... I the think, thing is, though, there was solidarity with Gabriel, you know. He yeah, didn't completely. Grow up. It, it caused enough problems anyway, just sort of restricting what him. he ate. But if he would have restricted him and we'd have been eating different something things, else, I think it would have been really, even worse. Yeah. Would have been I, really I, didn't, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to cook him no, separate food. No, we spent years also, trying to heal yeah. the psychological issues exactly. of going on gaps. No, <laughs> the psychological but, issues of having to restrict food from him. It wasn't the psychological impact yeah. of going on gaps because as a family, yeah, we were fine we doing were that together. To it was that. a psychological impact of going, is he allergic to, to eggs? Oh, is he allergic to celery? Yeah, is yeah. he allergic to sweet, sweet potato? Is he allergic to potato? Is he, when then we just had to restrict everything from him. You and, know? and anybody else that we met, we couldn't eat anything that they ate. I mean, there was just, I think, one one of our friends managed to cook for us once. But, yeah, I um, remember. Thanks, oh, Joe. Thanks, Joe, if Joe. you're listening. Thank you. Um, but literally, like, nobody cooked for us because it was just impossible. Like, no, nobody has oh, any... Oh, smile. You, you can't the explain best thing to you can do. it works. The best you know? thing you can do for someone on gaps is cook for them. <laughs> yeah. I've just been... It made me smile so yeah, widely gosh, knowing yeah. that, that Joe cooked for us. And seriously, if you know someone who's on gaps... Cook Go for them. and cook them a meal. Yeah. They will, they will love you. I mean, seriously, if someone had cooked, because you're cooking constantly, you're yeah. just cooking constantly, and nobody else can cook for you because nobody is capable of understanding what it is that you can eat and what you can't. It's just a random list of yeses and noes. So and we we didn't have the um, symptoms that Natasha Campbell McBride focuses on in her book yeah, Gut and Psychology correct. Syndrome. You know, she's, I remember reading it and reading about schizophrenia and reading about other psychological issues. That is not why we turned to GAPS. We did not turn to GAPS because, you know, Gabriel mm. was having autism, which I know a lot of people are turned turn to GAPS to for their kids. We did not do it for that. We did it for the healing that we thought it would give the gut. And, and I know that it, it healed all three of us on some level. But as with any diet, there are consequences, and, and for Gable, those consequences weren't quite so great, probably because he was one and a half and I was like 40-something. Um, but for me, with my particular makeup and my particular issues, the consequences were greater. Um, I think with hindsight, we would have done intro kind of much more attentively with Gabriel. I think also we need to say that we came out the other side of gaps and Gabriel still had issues with his bowel. Mm. He was still doing poos, kind of just unaware of it mm. randomly. Some, sometimes not for a few days, sometimes once or twice a day, sometimes nine times a day if he'd been eating something that was a bit wrong. And it was yeah. really, I mean, it, it was only when we finally started to understand more clearly the intolerances you know the, the, basically we'll, we'll talk about that later yeah okay we'll, i just want to talk about coming off really gaps changed, first yeah? and then then let's talk about how we took where gabriel was at that point and mm. and continue okay. with him is that all right yeah, yeah yeah i want to just talk about get coming off gaps because i think some people are on it now and they're not sure how to come off it and 
What I remember from coming off GAPS is we went first to non-gluten grains because they're much easier to digest. And we were quite familiar with those, having been gluten-free for a long time before GAPS. So I think the first thing we had actually was sweet potato. Um, and then we had millet and yeah, sorghum. Sweet potato's not really good with you, actually, is it? That was a bit ironic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like the flavour of it. Yeah, though. yeah. So we fermented the millet. And we fermented sorghum at the beginning. We even fermented some sweet potato. There's a video which you can access, and I'll try and remember to put it in the show notes, where I show how to make a sourdough polenta using millet and the sourdough polenta bread using millet. You could do that for sorghum. You could use it for buckwheat, I'm sure, which is gentle coming off gaps because there's no gluten in that grain. It's much easier for you to digest. And also if you ferment it, you're making it even easier to digest. So we started with those grains and then slowly, slowly, we we got into other grains and then I got into sourdough. Why did we actually decide to stop? Do you remember? Um... I think we just came to the conclusion that it wasn't really particularly helping anymore in the sense that just we were still in the situation where if Gabriel was on anything other than intro, he wasn't really yeah. quite right. And I, I think it was when we realised that beans were an issue to him. We thought, well, look, we we're, better off doing, we're better off doing something that's not GAPS legal. Yeah. Like we, we literally reached the point where we were like, well, we should be eating a bunch of things that are not GAPS legal that don't cause him problems rather than the thing that is gaps legal that does yeah that's Um, a useful thing and yeah it just didn't seem to make any sense anymore and uh, and you were beginning to suspect it was just killing you basically at that point i was struggling to find energy to to get through the day yeah um are you you glad we did gaps i just think it was a sledgehammer to crack a nut i mean it's you, you have to think about it in terms of it's been honed as it is for kids with autism and they you know their parents are going to do whatever they can to improve the situation that they're in if it's at all possible and so that you know it's quite an extreme and difficult thing to do and it's I mean looking back on it yeah there's lots of things that we needed to do but I think if you'd have learned how to make sourdough bread like a year earlier, mm. I think we'd have probably been better off just doing that. But but you didn't, you know, for whatever collection of reasons. So, we we learned about um, Gable's egg intolerance through through gaps. Exactly. Yeah. I and, mean, the and we don't know. We don't know what healing happened to him. You know, subsequent to that operation through him eating like that for that length of time. You know, it, it's so difficult to make a judgment looking back on something because mm. you don't know what the alternatives were. Um. We didn't have any better alternatives at the time, so we carried on yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the reality of it. If we'd have learnt some of the better alternatives that we've learnt now, Maybe. then we could have come yeah, off it earlier and sense. we could have done it for a shorter time and got some fabulous results out of it. Yeah, yeah. Rather than having the conversation that we're having now, which is just, oh, God, we were in a bit of a state by the end of it, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right. I think we could have done it for a much shorter time and got the, the results that we needed from it. Yeah. Um, And then found other ways to incorporate the foods that learn which foods Gable was okay Mm. with because that's basically what we've done since we've slowly slowly learnt which foods Gable is okay with Mm. 
and the ways in which you can prepare and process those foods to make him okay with them. And we've moved forward like that. And, he, and his healing has yeah. consolidated. I mean, he's you know? almost at the point now where he can eat anything once and get away with it. Mm. Um, eggs and potatoes are the worst, and I wouldn't want him to eat them twice in a row, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but, so he, you know. we realised he was allergic to, intolerant, sorry, to eggs on the GAPS diet. Once we came off the GAPS diet, we realised he was intolerant to potatoes. Um, and we, we'd already kind of figured out he didn't do so well with beans. But, I mean, what, what continued with Gable's healing was after he came off gaps, he still had problems with um, kind of going to the toilet without realising what was happening and several times a day to the point where, you know, we were always carrying around a spare pair of pants and whites and trousers and it was difficult to go out for the day with him. And we felt like maybe it was some psychological thing, mm, you know, that he just so didn't hard care. To know. And like, it was really hard to tell because... He'd never been in a different situation, yeah. you know, and, um, yeah. What we then did was read a book um, called The Plant Paradox by... Dr. Stephen Gundry. Thank you. And that talks about lectins. Lectins are um, a protection that plants have in themselves to promote them continuing on in the world and people not eating them. And... We found out through experimentation after reading that book, we went on a lectin-free diet for some time, that um, certain Which, lectins yeah, exactly. I mean, can I add that on, on that lectin-free diet mm. also, Gabriel was fine. So it's what, true, what yeah. we did was we looked at the food that we, we were feeding him on a daily basis and we thought, what are the things that have got... High lectins. Yeah, I mean, high lectins in terms of higher lectins than an ancestral diet. Because, you know, that like um, yeah. sourdough bread has lectins in it. You know, there, there are... There were Difficult plenty, to know there how were many because things. no one's yeah, tested Yeah, exactly. It. And they're all they're different types of lectin and that kind of thing. But we, we took Dr. Stephen Gundry's logic, which, by the way, is not... There's, I don't think there's anything particularly scientifically proven about it. What it is, it's a piece of insight and observation from him at having treated his patients I'm, I'm hoping you know, obviously he's probably not listening but if he was <laughs> hopefully he's not offended by that it's a it's a piece of insight on his part from observing what happened in his patients diets and so we just we applied that insight and said okay well what are the really nasty lectin content foods that we're feeding gabriel on a daily basis mm. and there are only a couple of them and yeah. we took them out and instantly i i'm not kidding yeah. like instantly within weird, a day his bowel problems went completely. I mean, just absolutely disappeared. And yeah, I we mean, went from literally him. And it, the going irony to the loo, of it is, is like, he can have these foods now: um, cashew nuts, and that there was like a, a grain-based milk from the supermarket. It was having those were the last yeah, two we didn't we took buy out. The supermarket, but, it um, but we'd also, <laughs> yeah, health food store. Yeah, exactly. But um, he, there were there were some other things yeah. like sort of tomatoes and cucumber skins that we didn't have very often and we took them out yeah. as well. But all of these foods, you can have them occasionally, is absolutely fine. But the relentless having them day after day was causing him problems. Mm. And the moment we stopped, it just instantly was night and day. And yeah. suddenly we could go out and do what the heck we wanted. And, and, and really you know, he's been, oh, he's not had that since. problem had, yeah. with kind of incontinence since then. 
And Apart you know, he's from now when I took him on a trip and fed him peanut butter for four days in a row. Yeah, that, that's what happens again. when yeah. I'm not around. <laughs> Basically, um, I always have, I always have to again. be around. Yeah. Otherwise, things go downhill a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I won't do it again. Okay. Come on, give me a break. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it it does it made us realise that the the elimination diet aspect, the sort of intelligent switched on attitude to what it is you're feeding a kid or yourself on a daily it's basis right. is so yeah. important. It's like, for me, it's 50% of it. Like Because there could be someone who may, maybe the initial intro healing diet is not as good for them as it was for Gabriel. I mean, it was fantastic for Gabriel. But I, I can theoretically imagine in my head someone else might be better on a, a different type of intro diet. I don't really know. But the the business of bringing things in gradually carefully and observing the results of it is incredibly important yeah. i wish we'd paid more attention i to agree that and that is is something that's so hard because everyone wants their problems sorted i mean i'm guilty of that i want my problems sorted and it is so much harder to consciously slowly and repetitively try things watch them observe them note them try things again watch them it just and there's so many other variables that play into each of those experiments so you can never keep them clean like you would in a lab you know there's always oh well actually that happened as well so that might have caused me to you know so it's it's an incredibly difficult path to walk and everyone that I've spoken to and you know everyone out there who's going on or been on or considering going on a healing diet I have so much resonance and respect for the journeys that we take because they are hard, really hard. It's so much easier to go to a doctor, apparently, and get... And say, please fix help me. Help me, please help me, yeah. than take personal responsibility. Um, so, yeah, that's and what happened some, with Gabriel. Sometimes the doctor is the only person who can yeah, really help. fix you. Yeah. And, and knowing the difference is... And even oh, harder. That's a harder line as well. So what about you? How has your healing moved on since you stopped GAPS? Oh, we're back to the rye bread again, aren't we, really? Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is sourdough bread in general mm. is just I having tried GAPS and felt what it's like for a very long period of time to be just not really getting enough carbohydrate sourdough bread gives me enough carbohydrate and doesn't cause me any issues i mean mm -hmm. i have sort of things like millet and sorghum and what have you for most of my other meals but if every day i have a couple of slices of sourdough bread you're okay i'm good you know i'm not losing weight i've got a, mm. a good healthy weight and i feel strong and i've got energy and when i sprint i go faster than when i walk which is a really nice mm -hmm. feeling and oh you mean your other healing outside the kitchen is really focused on um, Wim Hof's work and cold exposure and breathing, which we that's, talked that's about That's been a bit the last couple of years. In the other episode. A lot. I mean, to tell the truth, I got knocked out of it over the winter. We've had the worst winter of colds I think I can ever mm. remember. And I, for, the first, for the first time in three years, I'm not doing well. For a, I am again now, but I wasn't over the winter doing um, a cold shower every morning because, my goodness, I just I couldn't. I'd get even iller. Yeah. <laughs> but slowly... You are working with that. Yeah. Like something yeah, sure. that you're working with. For me, 
I think most of my healing since GAPS has been nervous system healing. Um, I'm very, I'm an extremely sensitive person. Um, and I feel like I've done a lot of work since GAPS outside of the kitchen on my healing. So I've done several courses. One from Sounds True that was written for um, emergency service first responders on nervous system and several kind of spiritual nervous system courses. Um, and I've also been working with probiotics to slowly increase my amount of probiotics without triggering histamine issues. Um, I feel like my, um, my moves in my own life, um, once Gabriel, just after Gabriel was born, I started painting. And then since then, my work to put my food out into the world through Ancestral hitch, um, Kitchen has been very, very healing. The more that I do what I love and am myself, the more I'm able to be okay in my own skin. And then the more things like, you know, my addictive tendencies, which frankly I've had since, I don't probably, since I was in the womb, um, you know, the addictions that I had as a kid to sugar that saw me being twice the weight I am now, those slowly with eating well and doing what I believe in in the world have fallen away. Um, the nervous system healing's helped with my sleep. We've been on really quite a big journey with my sleep the last decade, with Rob supporting me all the way with various different um, experimentations. But I mean, not having noisy neighbours helped. Indeed. Oh gosh, I, you've just reminded me of that, and now my body's gone all <laughs> funny. You know, this is the thing about nervous system. Yeah. Um, and I, I wouldn't minimize the effect of the food because slowly through sourdough through everything that I've been learning through the way we're honing slowly slowly through years and years and years honing what I'm eating and working with how I feel after I've eaten and any points where I perhaps eat a little bit more than I intended to consciously working with those and consciously working outside of those as well has changed my own healing to the point where I don't I really don't overeat anymore, and I used to. I think part tremendously. Of it, I just don't part, anymore. Part of it Not is even just on Christmas. if I mean, if you have a job that doesn't give you time to prepare food yeah, properly, yeah, yeah, and doesn't give you a space in your day when you're not stressed to eat it, yeah, at, at reasonable times, you're not going to get you your know, nutrients. The, <laughs> that that's going to mess up your food a bit you know and you maybe you'll be overeating because you're in a stress state or whatever and it just the rest of your the, life the, too. yeah the rest of your life has to move with it as as the food sort of practice and the relationship with food and the enjoyment of food move forward your, your life has to move forward as well to support mm. that otherwise you're just banging your head against a brick wall yeah. basically it's like oh i want to make my diet healthier but i can't it's yeah. like well okay you've got to change something in your life you know that and it's is usually is it it's going to be work it's going to be relationships yeah um you know th those are the, the big ones really yeah gosh okay well we're we're over the hour i think um is there anything i've missed or obviously there's plenty i've missed but is there anything important that i've missed is there anything you want to add rob 
I can't think of anything. Um, you've got the list in front of you, haven't you? My no, I think I think, gone to sleep, I think so. we've I think we've gone through the list. Okay. Um, so yeah, we'll put as much as we can in the resources, and do feel free to come and ask questions when we post the episode on Instagram. If you're not on Instagram, you can contact me um, via email and. I think maybe at some point in the future we'll have another gaps episode with um, someone who's professionally interested. Yeah, we in had gaps. to do this before we forgot about it. Basically, yeah, exactly. you know, every year goes by and we remember less. Yeah, and if you're yeah. if you're thinking about gaps or if you're on gaps, um, know that um, there are lots of people who thought about it, and there are lots of people who've done it, and there are there are communities out there that you can find. Um, so don't feel like you're alone. Um, in your journey um, and yeah total respect to everyone who's on this healing journey like we are I think I'll finish there okay thanks very much for your time Rob I really appreciate it thank you thank you so much for listening we'd love to continue the conversation come find us on Instagram Andrea's at farm and hearth and Alison's at Ancestral underscore Kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs>